Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast, where you'll hear right from the source how people like you have been able to buy and build their businesses across different industries all over the country. Dan Claps is the co-founder of Career Transition Leads, Nurture Assist, and Find a Business Online. Christian Dadalak is a franchise consultant with Find a Business Online, and he heads up business development for Career Transition Leads and Nurture Assist. He also runs an independent franchise consulting business, The Franchise Guys. Together, they formed relationships with hundreds of successful business owners who are excited to share their stories with you. Now, here are your hosts, Dan and Christian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Dan Claps here with my co-host, Christian Dalek. Hey, Christian, how are you? How's it going, guys? Good, good. And joining us as well, really excited about this episode, we've got our guest, Adam Rice, the founder and CEO of one of the number one emerging boutique fitness brands in the country, ISI Elite Training, and has been in the fitness industry for over 10 years. Um, Adam's married to his wife, Tristan, and together they have three children. And Adam started ISI back in 2013, uh, began the franchising journey in 2019, and currently has 19 open facilities and is set to double in size in Q4 of 2022. Um, they've awarded 80 territories and are quickly spreading across the country. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you bringing me on. Appreciate Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Well, I think a, a good place to start is just to get a little bit of a background on you, in addition to uh, kind of what we covered. But, you know, what's what's your story, Adam? How did you get into franchising? Why fitness? You know, can you take us through that journey? Yeah, you bet. So, really trails back to, uh, I think, two-sided. Number one, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur. I was the, the kid who was at the, the lemonade stand, and I was also the kid selling fake Jordans in high school, so uh, and importing them from China. But um, And I told people they were fake, by the way, so don't, uh, don't think wrong there. But um, no, man, we uh, was a fat kid growing up, too. So really, those, those two things, I always battled weight, was an athlete growing up, though, and uh, Went to uh, a camp at the University of Iowa. I grew up in Iowa and wanted to play college baseball. Coach essentially told me I was too fat to play um, in a nice way, though, right? <laughs> and uh, he, I think the wording he used was I was a liability on the base pass. And um, anyways, from there, I, I remember going home that night and, and just saying, man, I got, I got two choices. I was 16 years old. I was like, I can even prove this guy wrong and, and really change my life or, you know, continue down the path I'm on. And so... Went home, started Googling how to lose weight, how to get faster, all that. Ended up losing 70 pounds. And uh, long story short, went on to play Division One baseball at Coastal Carolina University. Fell in love with fitness and, and really um, what it does for you from a mental standpoint, um, but also the opportunities that it gives you um, in, in really every aspect of life. And so um, directly after playing college ball, opened my own spot and uh, 2013 started ISI and then in uh, 2019 opened several corporate locations. 2019 made the move from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to Charlotte and uh, built out our franchise prototype and went to market. And that's kind of how we landed today. And our first franchise opened three months before the pandemic hit. So it was perfect timing. <laughs> perfect timing for a fitness brand. Yeah, it was awesome. But no, we've, obviously we've grown substantially in the past couple of years. It's been a blessing. So it's awesome. So what is, first of all, let's start off with what does ISI stand for? I know there's some significance to the name there. So can you tell us about that and how you came up with that? Yeah. So in, uh, 
the, the first, when I, when I graduated, I opened this little small personal training studio. I called it beach body fitness. Like I'm 21. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about trademarks. Right. So anyways, I get a letter in the mail about a year and a half later saying you have to seize and assist this big company called beach body fitness. As you guys may know, like P90X insanity and all that. Um, and so we had to change the name and that was right at the time at the, at that point in time, I actually owned a sports bar, a limo business and a marketing agency. Um, so I'm the 23 year old now that, you know, just has his hands everywhere, but wanted to get out all of those and really focus on, on fitness. And that's really where my passion was. So we rebranded, I was in church and with my wife and, and the uh, sermon was on Proverbs 27, 17, which is iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And just from being a, an athlete, just the level of accountability and who we surround ourselves with, we rise really to the ceiling of the people that, you know, that we surround ourselves with. And so um, no better motto to, to create a community-based fitness concept than around that idea. And that's, that's really where that came from and what ISI stands for is Iron Sharpens Iron. That's awesome sharing that. Well, I was curious, um, we now understand the name, which is an awesome name. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people, they just really nilly make a name. Sounds like you did that in your first business. I made that same yeah. mistake. I actually remember having, I had a, um, a business called Next Promotions and it was a, a we staffed promotional uh, brand ambassadors for events. And it was out actually in LA in, in Beverly Hills. We went to this Regis office and I was so excited to, to start and then there's a real next models that came and, and did the same thing. I, I got a cease and desist letter uh, <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah, so right. I guess we've all been there in our entrepreneurship journey. Um, well, I guess my question is, you know, you guys have just been on on a on a, a growth trajectory. What's the goal five years from now? A lot of our listeners they're they're looking at franchise. They're trying to figure out where to go. I always say you got to look toward the leader and their vision. What's the vision for ISI over the next five years? Yeah, so our, our really our, our ten years, so our ten years start very macros to be at fifteen hundred locations globally. So, want to start with that and then back ourselves into by twenty twenty five, we want to be at four hundred locations awarded or in development, um, which we're on pace to to do right now. Um, but that's really the vision is being a lifestyle brand. So over ninety percent of our members are on our unlimited membership, which is it's very different than other boutique concepts where it's modality driven to maybe a piece of equipment, a treadmill, a bike or whatever. And they're coming there once a week, twice a week. Our members are coming four five, six days a week and therefore really creating a uh, number one, a raving fan, but they're doing life with these people every single day. So then therefore the lifetime value of that member goes up substantially. Um, it's why we were successful through COVID is that our modality is coaching. We can do coaching in a parking lot. We can do coaching virtually, whatever we have to do. And so, um, you know, that's, that's really the ultimate vision is, is to do that and to create a platform that really brings people together of, of different backgrounds, different diversities, and, and with one goal, it's to, to, to get better, right, through the vehicle of fitness um, and to do life together. And so it's really, you know, what we're trying to do, and, and I think we're well on our way. I think the cool part is how it's resonating in all parts of the country because when you go to market you don't know right like is this just going to be a bible belt thing that's successful in you know the suburbia america or is this something that's going to be successful in urban markets and markets that are heavy indian you know like our location we just opened in raleigh i think over 50 percent of our members are, are from the middle east um, so it's cool to see how that's resonating across 
you know, different diversities and ethnicities. So let's talk about that for a second. You mentioned that it's a, you know, it's a lifestyle business for a lot of your, your owners. And my question was, I mean, I see you out there, man, you're traveling, you're at franchisees. I think you were seeing almost every franchisee or if you already did that, or you're on that current plan, yeah. um, you're on social media, you're doing podcasts, you're running the company. I mean, uh, and then you've got a whole full family life. Uh, I follow you on Instagram. You, you have a, it seems like you, you know, you really keep everything balanced. How do you, how do you juggle? I mean, as a, as a founder and you know, CEO of a company, how are you balancing uh, the life, the business that you're growing and, and your life? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's challenging, but uh, you know, it's, it's intentional. And I think hiring. So one thing that I did early on was I said, I'm, I'm willing to, to really delay gratification, delay, you know, profitability of the company um, to really bring on a strong foundation of people. And, you know, one thing that I call it a fear of mine or, or call it, I don't know what it is, but it, it's, I don't want, I don't think it's fair for our franchise partners to go through the growing pains of an emerging brand when they're essentially coming on and, and taking a risk on us, but also, you know, paying a premium for a franchise fee that they're going to be paying in brands with three, 400 units. And so, you know, it was important to me to bring on the experience and not really try and build the plane in the sky. And so our COO, Amanda Hall, really runs the operations of the company. Um, and without her, I wouldn't be able to do, I wouldn't be able to have any balance. Right. And so, you know, not only is she a great leader, but she also has a ton of experience in bringing other brands, um, from, you know, 17, another fitness concept from 17 to 270 locations. So bringing people on that are going to help collapse the timeline and really support our franchise partners. Cause I don't know everything. Um, and I don't know a lot to be honest with you. So. Um, I, I do know though, that you need, you need great people in a village to, to make anything happen. So that, that's really what my focus on is the people that we're bringing onto the team and making sure that they're experienced, they align with our values and, and they're going to be able to afford me the opportunity to, to really be, you know, a balanced CEO, to be able to take my health for granted or to not take it for granted, to, to be a good family man, to be a good husband, but also to be a great, great leader for them as well. So it's really how I attempt to do it. <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, delegation really is the name of the game. That's why I like the, the book Traction so much. I'm sure we've all yeah. heard about that and the EOS model, because if every we decision, has, yeah, if every decision has to go oh. through you, then you don't really have much of a business. You kind of have the job owns you. You don't own the job or own the business, yeah. I guess the business owns you. Yeah. And so being able to have that, uh, that infrastructure in place is critical. And uh, so one thing, thing I wanted to ask about. So it sounds like you're the visionary, your COO, she's the integrator that can really, you know, get it all done. I know that with any brick and mortar concept, obviously, if, if the concept is good, which ISI absolutely is, you can, you know, it's easy to sell a great concept. But then the other half of the battle with the gym, especially is getting is getting them open. So um, how have you guys been able to effectively do that, especially with, uh, you know, because the real estate component can be difficult. And, um, you know, that's a that's a tough thing to manage. So what um, what's your guys' success there and your kind of your secret? Yeah. So, you know, through COVID and everything, we're averaging getting locations open 12, 12 months in 12 months, which I think is a win. Um, you know, it's not during normal times where we'd like to be at. We really like to be in that nine to 10 month mark, um, with pre-sales starting about six months from the time that they actually uh, are executing a franchise agreement. But 
I think from that side, it's, you know, having good partners on our side for, for real estate construction. Um, and then also us really staying in tune of what's happening with construction and really what's happening in real estate and staying ahead of it and working through, you know, stuff that we can show our franchise partners, Hey, we really need to be paying attention to sound insinuation to, um, you know, some of the things that, Hey, they don't know what they don't know. Right. This is the first time in business and brick and mortar, especially like they don't know what to look for in some of these things. And so I think that's, that's really the, the key is, you know, we've now done this several times and, and really staying transparent is a huge value of mine of, of what they need to be looking for. And then coaching them and guiding them through different, different metrics and urgencies that they need to be really executing along the process. And so, you know, that's, that's one of our huge initiatives is to get units open faster um, in 2022. And so th that just feeds a, a fitness brand because typically like for instance, today, 65% of our franchise partners were members first. So the more doors that we can open faster, the more members we're going to have in those new markets, therefore the more or the quicker we're going to grow in those markets. And so, you know, that's, that's really the name of the game for us. Why we're highly motivated to get them open is it's, it's a key part to our expansion plan as well. Yeah. So it sounds like you don't just sell a franchise and say, Hey, good luck, man. Uh, no. <laughs> find the real estate and get, get up and running. No, we, we, we award it. And then we're like, all right, you ready? <laughs> Buckle yeah, up. We, we saw that today, even right. You were on, you, you mentioned yeah. it before this, you were negotiating for one of your franchises. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I think it's, it's important to, to get involved as a CEO to really get involved when, when needed, especially when it comes down to, to brand credibility, brand presence and brand vision um, to get some things across the line, you know, just step in and help them. So um, I was, we were going to ask you who are the best hires you ever made, but I think you answered that question. It yeah. sounds like your CLO, yep. Amanda. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, here's the thing is like a, a lot of people don't give credit to those people um, who were there from day one. And, you know, that, that may not be in your organization today. And the reality is, is that without them, you know, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't have the capacity to, to, to grow with you at the speed, but they were so critical to the mission, you know, for that season of the business. And so, you know, I think every member, every staff member, every employee that we've ever had has played a part in where we're at today. And, you know, I think mm -hmm. the, the same goes for, for where we're going. So, you know, it's it, vision is one thing, but then uh, your, your team and your people, man, like it's everything. That that's a that's a real lesson, right? The idea of the, the right people in the right seats on the bus. Um, yeah. And I, I've been on I've been on both ends now. You know where I, you know some and someone you're close with, maybe even a, a good friend. They're they're not the right fit for your company on the bus. I've been that. I've been that where I'm not the right fit because maybe it's my entrepreneurship. I want to go on my own. Like you need someone that wants to build your company. Um, and sometimes people can want to be on their own. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're not a fit for your bus then, right? They're probably a better fit for their own bus. So you got all kinds of different, uh, that's the hardest part though. Cause it's the people that you started with sometimes and you're so close with that you, you lose sometimes. Sometimes the people you start with, they can take you from zero to X amount of revenue, but then what's going to get you to go from, from that to the next big hurdle and hop over the next big obstacle is a completely different team. And sometimes you need different people in different seats. I know I, I think about like O2E brands and Cameron Harold with uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK Brian Scudamore. Cameron Harold is a beast, but 
even Brian Scudamore, they got to a point where he, he said, look, you got us here, but we need something completely different to get from here to there. And so it doesn't, there's no knock on Cameron, obviously, because he's a genius. Uh, but, you know, just sometimes the, the needs of the business are different, are, are different throughout different periods of, of time as the business grows and scales. Yeah. And there's, there's multiple stages. You got the, the zero, zero to million stage, and then you got the one to 10 million stage, the 10 to 50 million and the 50 million plus. And, you know, your, your leadership needs to be different skill sets within that time, right? At, at one point, it needs to be someone who can execute. At another time, it needs to be someone who can innovate. And so, you know, it's, it's so critical. I think from, you know, I talk about this a lot with, with other executives and, you know, even our franchise partners is how do you keep great people is you have to know their vision. And, you know, if their, their vision, your vision as a, as a leader has to be so big that your team's vision fits inside if you want to keep them. And it's either, you know, if if you have, for instance, our franchise partners, if you have one location and you only want to open one location, totally cool. Right. But you're just, no, you're going to, your top employee, it's going to be a stepping stone. You might have a two to three year lifespan with them and that's totally fine. They're not going to be there in 10 years and nor should you want them there in 10 years, right? Unless they're, because uh, it means they're not growing in their career. And so I think that's, that's important for people to really understand is to know the vision of your team so that you can create pathways for them inside your company. And therefore there's, there's not a ceiling because, you know, we, we get so many people from other brands because they've, they've essentially reached a ceiling and, you know, at, at some point, every brand has that, but I think that's the battle is, is really trying to create pathways the entire way through. I was just thinking about that, uh, the movie, uh, the show on Showtime, Super Pumped. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about Uber and the story of Uber. It's, it's, uh, it's really good. I, I don't condone what uh, Travis Cabernet, the negative that happened with Uber. But when you watch it, you watch this person that this founder of Uber who truly executed and he's gritty and he's, he says no to people that, you know, you, you blown away that he's saying no to get, you know, it's Google's offering to invest and he's saying no to get them to like end up investing more and he's relentless. Um, But all the positives about him to get them to where they got first uh, without him um, ended up being his negatives too, and his downfall and the company actually needed to move on. He wasn't the right fit for the bus anymore. So that yeah. can happen too. And companies yeah, bigger than you. For sure. For sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned about keeping good talent. And we were going to ask about how do you find a good general manager? Because ISI can be run as a semi-absentee uh, business, obviously not mm-hmm. absentee. There's no such thing as that. You can't right. just not be yep. involved in the business, but you can hire a general manager. That person can run a lot of the day-to-day operation. But like you mentioned, if you want to keep that person long, long term, you need to show that there's a growth path. You need to show, hey, I, I want to go from one location, then we're going to open up a second, a third, and on and on. And, and it's like you said, it's cool if they just want to stick at one or two, but just recognize that the opportunity for your team then is capped and they're not going to stay there forever then because they want growth opportunity and career advancement potential too. So, yep. but the question is, so how do you go about or how do you train your, your franchisees to go about finding that, that good general manager that is the right fit for the brand, the right person for the right seat, especially right out of the gate with the franchise? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question um, because it's the most important role, right? I think it, it heavily depends on what is the vision of that franchise partner. And, 
you know, I always tell people when they're coming through the sales process is, Hey, like, that's why I essentially demand a vision out of them because I was like, I can't help you or educate you on what you should do, whether it's one, three or five units, because I need to know your vision. And so I, I do say though, if you're on the, if you're on the borderline of say two and three units, then let's go three because of this one reason you're going to be able to attract better talent because there is a proven growth pattern or growth pathway for your team, right? Um, because you, that first person you're going to bring on is like, hey, I've purchased three of these territories and I'm going to need a regional at one point. And so I think that's that's one thing. Number two is how involved is that franchise partner going to be? And what are they going to be doing within the business? Because they need to really lock in on that. Once they fully understand like, hey, I'm going to be semi-absentee and I'm going to, I'm going to work out there for us, work out there. And, you know, we're going to have our weekly meetings and that's it. Cool. Then you need somebody who's going to offset your skill set. Meaning like for me, I don't know if you guys have ever dug into the Enneagram at all um, or personality tests or anything like that, but the Enneagram really dials in like I'm a type seven. So I'm a visionary. I am um, somebody who really goes from A to B. I don't like, I don't like, um, talking uh, like I don't like that that period like let's just get the job done right and, and therefore like I'm not super detail oriented and so that's who I would need to hire is somebody who's very detail oriented um, and then that person though who's your assistant GM or your maybe your top sales leader or top front desk associate based depending on business right is going to offset the skill set of your your general manager because it's so hard where people try and find unicorns, like they just, you're going to find one unicorn for every million people that are detail oriented, visionary, can build community, can be charismatic, like they just don't exist. And so, you know, that's really what you need to hire is to how involved are you going to be and then hire those skill sets or what you don't like to do, right? Like I hate the details. I hate paperwork. I hate ad administrative stuff. So I need to hire on the Enneagram, a type one, who's a perfectionist. And then they need to make sure that they're, they're hiring type sevens, which are more like me, which are more charismatic, which are more community people, extroverted, those types of people. So I think not a lot of owners really dive into that and they just see, okay, who's available out there. And it doesn't matter what business it is. Like that's, that's, I think, super critical to that. Where, where do we find this Enneagram? Is it a what, what is it? Yeah, just Google it. Any enneagram. It, it's don't, like be careful with it though, because you will go down a rabbit hole. Like it is <laughs> fascinating because like I mean, so personality, like disc assessment tests, that's gonna say your personality more than anything. But this goes into your DNA. So this is it'll tell you okay, you're a type seven, but then it'll say hey, when Christian, if you're a type seven, when you're really healthy, meaning physically, emotionally, spiritually you're going to take on the characteristics of a type blank. And when you're not healthy, when you're super stressed out, when you're you know, overwhelmed, you're going to take on the characteristics of this other, the negative characteristics of this other type. And so like for me, my, my unhealthiness is my seven turns into a, a one. So I get very like focused, um, but in a bad way and one track minded and micromanage and all of that to where that's that's not me when i'm healthy and so it's, like under it's, under stress you flip like you have this yeah, yeah. it's fascinating yeah. be careful though because you'll go down a freaking rabbit hole and then like relationship with your significant other 
it'll teach you how to communicate with them huh. in a huge way. And it'll, it'll, it's wild, man. <laughs> I, I know I'm going to get a text from you. Yeah. I know I'm going to get a text from you like in a week and be like, dude, <laughs> I mean, I to your, to your wife. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I would imagine I'm on that seven side uh, like you, but I'm curious to see what I get. I, I'm, I actually am blind to details. It's not even that like people say to me like, be more detail oriented. I always equate it to, um, you know, you meet someone that's interested. All three of us on this call are, are you know, kind of, kind of charisma and extroverted. Yep. When I meet someone that isn't, I just want to say to them, like, just talk. Just why don't you just be charismatic? And they can't. It's, it's not, not their <laughs> skill set. And so when someone who's very detail oriented gets mad at me, they act like it's like I'm choosing to be lazy or it's it's not that. It's actually we have a blinder probably, and we while we have clear vision in somewhere else there's some type of fog in the way of details at least for me yeah and what's interesting is you without even noticing it you attract people that are in the same enneagram type as you so now you you can easily build an organization that is just built on people that are replicated just like you and all of a sudden you have you guys are missing details there's gaps and everything or if you're a type one you know or somebody who is just very detail oriented you're going to hire other people that are like that when you really need somebody who's charismatic or somebody who is a driver which is more of a type eight that's going to drive people to get things done so it's fascinating thank you so how do you identify those people is this part of your hiring process you're like hey take take this assessment or or what do you do how do you identify that person if you're a type seven how do you identify the people that are going to cover those blind spots or that it, sounds like he, it was part of his, uh, his, his dating process too, before, when he met his wife, I don't know. It's good. No, 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 no. But I, Hey, if it was today though, I would, I would put it, I would put it like the link on like, uh, I, I wasn't even around when there was dating sites, but like, what is it? Bumble or whatever. Yeah, I'd be put, putting put the, the link, link to the Enneagram. Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it, it's not part of our onboarding process here, um, but I do encourage franchise partners to number one, take the test. And number two, if they're close with two or three different candidates, then to have them take the test um, because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. And sometimes you just need somebody who's opposite of, because those skill sets are both, and especially in fitness, like those, it's incredible that you have to have both of those sides. If you miss, one side then you're missing a whole gap to your business and it's like that for any business though right absolutely so what i mean what sort of gaps does that does that create i mean let's say you have the visionary type person who's charismatic knows how to build a community but they don't have the detail versus the guy that's super analytical can do the detail but it maybe his management style is a little weird i mean what kind of yeah. gaps do you find that that create can create in a business some of the answers i'm obvious but i'm curious to hear what yeah. you have to say about that I mean, I think it, it really relies down to what is your consumer. So like in fitness, you're going to be able to survive as a type seven who's not detail oriented because it's about human to human interaction. It's about, you know, word of mouth referrals and all of that, where a seven is going to drop the ball is maybe on KPI tracking is on, you know, all of the details of what needs to happen on a weekly basis, opening and closing lists, um, because type sevens are really bad managers, great leaders, though. There's a difference there um, to where like a type one and, and like you have a type two. So like my, my assistant is a type two and, 
And she is one of those people that naturally, like it makes sense. Like she loves to serve, um, but healthy type, or I'm sorry, unhealthy type twos would be like, it's that friend that you have that is always there for everybody. But then like you forget their birthday and they're like, man, I, I've done everything for you. And now there's this massive level of resentment. And so it's just, you, you, you gain awareness to that. And so, you know, based on like, if you're in a tech company, I would say, you know, it's less important to have a, a charismatic person and more important to have a, a detail oriented person. Um, or if say, if you're in a painting company. So I, I think it's very different for each, for each industry, but you know, I, the, the bigger picture here is I think having awareness to that and ultimately it links down to freedom. Right. And that's why the people you guys work with, the people that I work with, like that's what we're after is, is financial freedom, but also freedom of their time. And you can't do that if you continue to hire people that are just like you, um, because you're not going to be able to compliment them, compliment their skill set. And that, that's ultimately what it should be is you should be able to see your team's gaps uh, so that you can, you know, say, hey, it, for instance, if you're very detail oriented and it's KPIs, like, hey, we're having a weekly meeting. But if you're just hiring people like you, like you literally, you're almost buying yourself a job at that point. So. What's your what's your best advice then for for people to get along with different personality types? Because obviously there's all different types of people that you could be working with and you need to be good at dealing with a large variety of people, especially if you want to have the type of organization that you're talking about where you have different personality types to make sure all the bases are covered. The business is flourishing. It's growing. Nothing's getting left behind. There's no gaps getting created. So, I mean, what's your advice for getting along with different people? Because sometimes like Dan had mentioned, if he's super, well, not detail oriented, then it can be easy for people that are to get frustrated with him. And then if people that are not super charismatic and don't have a ton of great people skills, it could be easier for Dan to get frustrated. So what's your advice for how to, how to manage and navigate those types of relationships, especially as a franchisee. Yeah. From the franchisee's perspective, I think it's number one, it's mission, vision values, right? So why, why did we open this location? Like why, why do we even exist? And then number two, like if the value, if there's, this is what I always tell people when they're hiring somebody, if there is one value out of your, say we have five values as a company that doesn't align, do not hire them. Just do not hire them because that at some point, if everybody on your team has to align with the values, if you align on the values, then you can get past anything. And the, then they need to know the vision, right? And that's why I tell franchise partners like, hey, your vision is not, yeah, your vision is to be part of a brand that's growing to 1500 locations, but that's not your vision. Like your vision is five locations so that you can create massive opportunity for employees and, and all of that. But your team needs to know that vision because there's a, a an old proverb that says where there is no vision, people will perish, which means people will die when there's no vision. And we've all been there, right, to where why am I coming and waking up every single day to do the same thing? That vision should pull you. And then I think lastly, it's 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 empathy and it's knowing like, hey, like I don't have this skill set or this this person. If I know my employee lacks this skill set. And as a leader, like it's my job to help them develop it or drop my expectations of them in that one particular area. And it gets back to what you're saying, putting people in the right seat. It's like me putting an introvert in sales, like probably not, of course, like they're not going to succeed. I'm going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated. They're not going to be fulfilled. 
and they're ultimately going to suck, <laughs> you know? So in our industry, right. And I say sales in, in our industry, when you're people facing in a high energy atmosphere, but you know, I think that's, that's the, the key piece. And you just have to have awareness to who you're hiring and what their skill sets are. Cause too many of us, mm-hmm. I think we expect too much out of people like, and especially founders, high level performers, like not everyone is us. And like, we, we also suck in 95% of every other area. Right. And, you, and I think that's, <laughs> this is like facts, just constant. I, I have a whole few <laughs> notes here that I'm taking, uh, cause I, I had this recent revelation, like my company is all salespeople. Even the managers, the, the operations people were salespeople. We moved into operations, like the whole thing. And then one day I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This is just a bunch of salespeople. And you know, we had to start figuring that out and hiring operations uh, people. And sometimes I think operations people, they want to be the salesperson. So they, they say, no, I'm, I'm not just enough person. I'm a salesperson. Maybe they're not. And vice versa, you know, salespeople think they're an ops person and they're, they're really not. I'm probably, I'm guilty of that. Right. Yeah. Just because you can do sales doesn't mean you can do sales management necessarily. Sales skills, management skills, operational skills that those are all different. And sometimes there can be some crossover, but, but not all the time. I didn't know that there's a leader and a manager. That's a great point too. So we're summarizing this call here for our listeners. Well, I guess a a cool place to wrap up or Adam, did you have something to say? No, 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 no. I think, I think it's, it's all great. It, it's, you know, the reality is we, we all are, we all are good and we all suck. So the more awareness we can have around where we are good and where we suck and the people that we work closely with is, you know, at the end of the day is going to make us all more successful because I heard, um, I think Hermosi said it the other day on one of his Instagram stories, but he said, cause people always say, and this ring, this just resonated with me. People are like, I love him cause he's authentic or, you know, my goal is to be authentic. Well, like, what does authenticity mean? And, and you do it because there's no formula. And then he actually said, when your thoughts align with your words, align with your actions, that's authenticity. And it never rang a bell because again, you, there's a lot of people that think certain things, insecurities, fears, all these things, but then they, their, their insecurities speak out through confidence or through they're covering that up. And therefore they look, I mean, I can probably name four people I know very closely to me who seem charismatic but you can just they bleed that they're unauthentic and it's because their thoughts in their mind Mm. is not the same of what they're living out because they are insecure they do have a fear or whatever it is you know but they're good at covering that up and i think that like to me is when we can be authentic man like you unlock so many gates in whatever level of leadership or management you're in Mm. um, through that so i love that well, I think one, one quick question I wanted to ask before we wrap up, I know we're bumping up against the, uh, the hour here, but where do, you, where do you see the fitness industry going in the future? Obviously, it seems like we're finally getting out of COVID, obviously, for the fitness industry. That was, that was a tough place to be. You guys weathered the storm. You're rocking and rolling. Where do things go from here as an industry? And, uh, and we already talked about ISI, but where do you think things are going? And what would you say to some people that are they're like, I like the idea of fitness, but I'm a little nervous because of COVID and all of that what would you say to those people? And we can wrap up there. 
Yeah. So it's a great question. It's probably one of the things that I hear the most is, man, it's so con it's so concentrated, right? There's there's so many people that are in fitness and, and it's true. But what's also true is there's a reason there's so many people in fitness is because it's going to be in a hundred billion dollar industry. And number three is you don't need 3000 people to be successful. And so there's room for everybody to win when it comes down to the fitness. And, you know, where one of you guys may love cycling and maybe cycle bars your cup of tea and the other guys more athletic based training and isi is your cup of tea like there's room for everybody to win so i think the the big unknown through covid was how much market share is the at home you know concepts going to take and, and the reality is i mean you guys see what happens with peloton with the the stock there and the reality is people need people and we're meant to do life together and so i think the brands in the boutique space that are going to deliver the quality of experience to, regardless of modality that it's worth someone getting out of their house driving 20 minutes taking a workout driving 20 minutes back home are going to be the brands that are going to thrive and we're going to see a lot of brands die in the next two to three years um, and so I do think you're going to see the at home stuff, the Pelotons, the tonals, all of that take a little bit of market share, but I also think you're going to see a lot of boutique fitness brands die because they're delivering the same level of workout that you could get at home. And it, when I talk experience, it's about high fives. It's about community. It's about connecting with people that they can't ever get through a screen. Um, so I think that's where we're, you know, selfishly, that's where we're positioned really, really well right now is we're ready for the next three or four years. Uh, but that's kind of what I see is, you know, boutique fitness survived and is we're up well over 100% pre-COVID numbers um, right now in all of our locations. So any indication of that, and, and I don't think it's just us, right? I think it's the industry. I know OTF, Exponential Brands, they're getting back on their feet. And uh, so I think it's, it's here to stay. And this was really the COVID was the first true test of that. Um, for the boutique fitness space since it really exploded in 2013, 2014, and 15. Awesome. Wealth of knowledge, Adam. Thank you for, for being on with us and uh, excited to continue this journey together. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, guys. I appreciate y'all.